0: Amen. You may be seated here. We're going to read in Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, verse 27 through 28. Amen. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many, I want to talk to you here on the subject ransomed. This should be a, a subject that is near and dear to each and every one of our hearts. If we honest with ourselves, honest in the fact that we were all uh, at some point or another captives to sin, captives to death. Amen. But Christ came that we might be ransomed. Christ appeared in that stable. Amen. As a baby. And he came so that we might be free from those things, free from sin. Amen. And free from the bonds and the bondage of hell. And that's something that all of us should be excited about. Amen. We don't have to carry the guilt of shame. We don't have to carry the guilt of sin. If we find ourselves at an altar repenting, Saying, Lord, I'm, 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 I know what I've done. I know who I am as a sinner. But God, I, I want to know you more. I want, to, I want to be reconciled back to you again. Amen. And because of his sacrifice, he has promised that we shall have life everlasting. Of course, you need to follow that repentance up with baptism. As Jesus said, except a man be born of water and spirit cannot enter into the kingdom of God, but that repentance, that that step towards God is an important step. And it is not to be uh, trifled or or trivialized. It's something that is for us to take advantage of. And when I say take advantage of, is we don't really deserve it. But he made a way for us. He made a way for us uh, to take advantage of that. But I want to talk here about this subject And um, if you'll give me here just a minute, I want to kind of open up by laying this foundation on the importance of ransoming uh, in the scriptures. And here, just by way of a real world example, something that's actually happening right now, we know that on October 7th, uh, the militant group Hamas uh, attacked Israel and in the process captured over 240 hostages, um, ranging from women Men, children, soldiers, foreigners. And uh, since then, though, estimates suggest that close to 15,000 uh, Gazans or uh, have been killed uh, as a result of Israel's response. On November 24th, Israel and Hamas entered into a seven-day truce to ceasefire. And uh, Hamas released some hostages. Uh, uh, Israel, over the course of that same time period, released 240 hostages. Uh, but Hamas released an average of, of 10 hostages a day. Uh, but after seven days, the truce fell apart. Each side blamed the other for the failed talks. So over the course of those seven days, Hamas released a total of 100 Captives, leaving about 140 still under their control. And again, this, this, these uh, hostages range from women, children, foreigners, and Israeli soldiers. You see, Israel, over the course of those seven days, paid the ransom for release by halting its military bombardment in, in the Gaza Territory. And as I stated earlier, they released about 240 Palestinians from prison. However, Hamas, though, is said to be considering raging, uh, raising the ransom for, for them to release the remainder of the hostages that they hold in, in captivity. A higher price, a higher ransom to release Israeli soldiers and the male hostages that are still there. And the question I want to ask some of you today is what price would you pay to have your loved ones released? What price would you pay to have your loved ones released from captivity? Of course, we know that there are some uh, unsavory things happening while uh, those people are in, in uh, captivity, especially with regard to the women. You know, but this subject of ransoming carries more weight when we understand from the biblical perspective of how important the process of ransoming is. Um, I know we, we shout and we're glad about the fact that Jesus, as we should, the fact that Jesus ransomed us from sin. But when we understand it written from the biblical perspective, of course, we know that Matthew was written, written my, my uh, opening text. Matthew wrote his gospel, the perspective of his gospel to the Jews. That's why he opened up with a big, long um, uh, genealogy. Of how Christ even came to be on the earth, because that's important to a Jewish audience. And it's not a surprise to me that he would also then write about and and phrase the, the text in such a way to say that Jesus Christ was ransomed for us all. Because when a Jewish person is reading that, it carries a certain weight with it. Carries a certain uh, gusto, if you will. Historically, the Jewish people have placed great emphasis on the importance of ransoming captives. And in fact, uh, it's considered to, to ransom a captive or to pay a ransom for a captive is considered a mitzvah or a commandment, uh, a, a religious duty, if you will, a religious duty to, to ransom those who are in captivity to ransom a fellow Jew who, have been, who has been captive or, or, uh, or imprisoned. Captivity is viewed worse than starvation or death in the Jewish mind. Uh, one resource said that, you know, it, it's more important than charity because if somebody is starving, you can, you can give them food, you know. But if somebody is in captivity, they're in captivity, meaning they don't have their freedom, and they're likely starving, They're likely not being fed, not being nourished. And so it's sort of, it sort of ups the ante in terms of a religious duty to free those people uh, from captivity. A person who delays the fulfillment of this duty and causes an undue prolongation of his fellow Jews imprisonment is regarded as if he has spilled the blood of the captives. That's how important it is. If you don't As a Jewish person, if you don't take the the steps or the means necessary to pay the ransom, to pay the debt, then it is said that you have spilled the blood of the one who is in captivity. Now, isn't that interesting that Jesus would come and pay the ransom for us so that we don't have to face the judgment that comes along with being captive, being held captive to sin? The judgment that comes along with being held captive to death. He paid that for us. His blood was spilled on our behalf. Amen. Some other, uh, I guess, if you will, rules or guidelines for ransoming. There's a whole list of them. I'm not going to go through all of them. But women were usually prioritized over men. And Mm -hmm. A person, If a person had been captured with his teacher and his father, he may ransom himself, but then he has to ransom his teacher before his father. I've taught in the past how they placed a great significance on, on the rabbi or the teacher, the one who uh, would enlighten their spiritual life, enlighten them in their spiritual life. And so they would have, have to ransom the, the, the teacher uh, or the pastor, if you will, before they ransom their own father. That's how important ransoming was to the Jewish people. We know that every seven years, the Jubilee, servants of Jewish families would be released from bondage, uh, paying homage to the principle of ransoming. And in fact, Jeremiah chapter 34 tells us of a story where the people neglected this, this principle and it led to God's judgment. The people neglected the ransoming of those or releasing those from, prince, uh, from, from slavery. Their Jewish brothers and Jewish sisters who were, who were servants to them, they neglected. They actually, if you read it, it says that, okay, yeah, we'll do it. Uh, God is preparing them, taking them through this process, and they say, yeah, we'll do it. We'll go through with it. But then the scripture said that they changed their mind and they didn't release the captives and what followed was god's judgment god said okay since you are not taking this seriously this this important principle of ransoming and releasing those who are held in bondage you're going to meet my judgment you're going to be met with my wrath you're going to be met with um with my fury because i hold this in god's eyes he holds this process and this principle very seriously you know bondage and freedom whether political or spiritual are conjoined concepts that play th- all throughout Scripture. It plays all throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, political bondage is tied to the spiritual state of the nations. I've said before, whenever you, uh, you see something happening in the world, uh, on, the, on the world stage, politically or otherwise, we need to, as the church, pause and reflect and ask ourselves, what is God teaching us? What is God trying to get us to understand? What is God trying to get us to see with regard to the spiritual state of man and of even ourselves. Let's make it personal. What's my spiritual situation? How does my spiritual state uh, meet or match this this issue? Israel's 400 plus years of slavery in Egypt is the primary example of political bondage in the biblical story. We know how they spent 400 plus years under Egypt's uh, and the Pharaoh's captivity. The Bible tells us that the children of Israel groaned because of their bondage and they they cried and their cry came up unto God because of their bondage. Because they were in bondage. Think think about this. Because they were in bondage, God heard their cry. When you read Exodus uh, chapter 2 verse 23, because they were in bondage, God heard their cry. Their cry made it up uh, to heaven. And so God did something about it. He sent them a deliverer. In the form of Moses, he sent them a a uh, a Messiah, if you will, in the form of Moses. Now, of course, we know that Moses was just a type and shadow of Jesus Christ. But they, even still today, Jewish people place a great importance and significance on Moses and how he freed them from bondage. But it happened because God heard their cry. God saw their situation. God saw the need, and He responded. Moses would say to the Israelites, remember the day in which you came out of Egypt. Remember it. Remember the day that you came out of the house of bondage. Yes. Remember that day. How many of us remember the day we came out of the house of bondage? Man, you, right. Amen. Don't forget that day. That's right. That's an important day. It's a powerful day. It should cause you to say, man, I didn't I didn't deserve to be where I am. I didn't deserve For God to pay that much attention to me. And he did it anyway. He brought me out of the house of bondage. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Verse 7 through 8 says. The Lord did not set his love upon you. Nor chose you because ye were more in number than any people. For ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you. And because he would keep the oath. Which he had sworn unto your fathers. This is why the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen, from the land of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, because he loved you. Right. You thought you were special. No, it's just because he loved you. You know, from an economic standpoint, you weren't really even worth the time, because I mean, it's not like you're going to be free and have some huge, great, big army and be this big nation, you know, it's prosperous. Now, it, 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 it. In terms of stakes and and investment, there was really no investment from God's perspective. But because he loved you and we still have that testimony today, there's what's the investment for God to rescue us, to save us from our sin. What I mean, really? What is he really gaining? We have all to gain. We have everything to gain from this principle of ransoming, from from God deciding to do something about the state of mankind, to do something about the sin that we find ourselves in. In my opening text, we'll read that again. Jesus speaking, and whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant, even as the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, in studying this, I came across this, this, uh, uh, what is it, fourth century concept, between the fourth and 11th century idea on how they understood early Christianity tried to reconcile the ransom principle. Uh, and there's a, there's a theory here that was promoted by Origen, many of you theologians may know who he is, um, Origen Adamantius, that sounds like a cool name, Origen Adamantius. But before I tell you the theory and what he posited with regard to the ransom, let me tell you a little bit about who he was. And you might understand why he would arrive at the theory that he arrived at, which, by the way, was not a biblical theory. Let me just go ahead and throw that out there. So, Origen, again, he was an early Christian theologian and scholar. He was heavily influenced by Greek philosophy, especially Gnosticism. Gnosticism was this idea that we could have a, uh, uh, we would interpret the scriptures. And in fact, Origen really did this. He interpreted the scriptures more from an allegorical perspective, not literally. Just allegory like there's some deep meaning in in the scriptures and oftentimes ignored the literal meaning behind the scriptures. So, for example, he didn't believe that Jesus Christ went actually went into the temple and tossed the tables. He didn't believe that that was actual uh, church history, early church history. He believed that the tables and the the things that were tossed and Jesus walking into the temple represented something, not that it actually happened. OK, so that that's that's what you get when you uh, only study the scriptures from an allegorical perspective. Now, there are many there are not many. There are different ways to interpret the scriptures. Allegory is one of them. But there's also you can also you cannot uh, divorce The process of the literal interpretation of scripture, because if we ignore the literal interpretation and the literal things that happen in scripture, then we get to the point where he get to and we say, well, this isn't, this is not actual history, right? This is not actual history that Jesus Christ did these things. Well, we can, we can, we can, we can extrapolate that and we can say, well, Jesus didn't literally go to the cross. It's just a metaphor for something. You see, do you see the danger in that? He didn't literally die on a cross. He didn't literally uh, uh, get whipped with a cat of nine tails. It's just, it's just some deep spiritual meaning behind what it is the scriptures are saying. So uh, allegory is a dangerous way. If you rely primarily on allegory, that's a dangerous way to interpret scripture. Okay. Uh, Origen was also an early champion, the doctrine of the Trinity. I Bet you didn't see that coming. He was a student of Clement who said that to know is better than to believe. Here we go again with this idea of of knowledge. Superseding faith. Scripture didn't say knowledge comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. uh, Origin believed his purpose look at this, was to blend the Bible and Greek philosophy. <laughs> blend the Bible and Greek philosophy. We know that the Greeks were, were, were uh, they were not irreligious. They were not even atheist. They were uber religious, so much so that they had and practiced uh, paganism. They had many gods. You know, the Greeks and the Romans, for that matter. They were not irreligious. In fact, they thought that early Christians, I learned this a couple weeks ago, they thought early Christians were atheists because we only believed in one God. <laughs> but Origen thought that his purpose was to blend the Bible and Greek philosophy. Again, he relied on allegory as the primary way to interpret scripture. So now that you know a little bit about who this person is, let me tell you what his ransom theory stated. His theory taught that the death of Christ was a ransom sacrifice paid to Satan in satisfaction for the bondage and debt on the souls of humanity as a result of inherited sin. Now, if you're tracking, there's there's a problem with that theory because what it says is that Satan, Jesus Christ owed Satan, for the souls that Satan had. But see, the problem is Satan never had any souls. Satan was never in charge of our uh, eternal destination. Satan, the Bible never teaches us that Satan owned us. Amen. Aren't you glad about that? (laughs) Bible doesn't teach us that. So there's issue. There's issue with this theory. That's the primary issue. You see, Satan was already defeated when he was cast out of heaven. He was already defeated. Um, the Bible tells us that his head was going to be crushed by the seat of a woman. He was already defeated. So he didn't have, we know that he, don't, he does not have the authority to give or take life. He went to he went to God uh, bargaining with God to try to get God to give him the authority to take Job's life. God say, no, we ain't. No, we ain't gonna have all that. You can you can take his possessions. You can do all those things. You can you can do what you can to try to convince and persuade Job to to come and follow you or to curse me and die. I already know it ain't going to happen. But, you know, you, you go ahead and go on this 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 fruitless mission if you want to. But you can't take his life. You don't have that authority to do that. You don't have that authority. To do that. Um, So if Jesus paid a ransom with his life, then who is it paid to? Who is it paid to? Who is it paid to? Psalm 49, six through nine says they that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches. None of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him. All right. So this just stood out to me. This, this, this acknowledges that God is the one to whom the ransom is owed. Okay. But the thing I was going to point out about this scripture is, and what it's saying is your money cannot buy you salvation. You can't pay enough money to buy your way into heaven. You can't pay enough money to buy forgiveness, God's forgiveness. You can't pay enough money. First eight says for the redemption of their soul is precious and it ceases forever. Verse nine that he should still live forever and see see corruption. So uh, in other words, money can't buy you salvation. Redemption does not come so easily because no one can ever pay enough to live forever and never see the grave. I don't care how big your coffers are. Your money is not enough. You can't pay enough for what God paid, what Jesus paid on Calvary. Thank you, Jesus. The debt is too much. Yes. <laughs> it's innumerable. You can't put a price on it. Also, as I said, no man can pay enough money to get you into heaven. Now, we know in uh, in early Christianity, specifically the Catholic Church, what even led to Protestants. Uh, uh, The Protestants. What led to the Protestants was that the uh, Catholic Church did this thing called the sale of indulgences. What was that all about? They were selling, telling people lies and saying, if you pay enough to the Catholic Church, we can get your family out of uh, of hell. We can get your family out of hell. (laughs) How much are you willing to pay to get your family out of captivity? How many families were bamboozled because of that? false teaching. If only they had turned to Psalm chapter 46, verse 6 through 9. They'd have said, no, you can't do that. Right. This ain't going to work. So where's the money really going? Right. But he didn't do that. Many people were led astray. That's, this is one of the reasons why uh, uh, Martin Luther left the Catholic Church. It's because of the sale of indul- uh, indulgences. The sale of indulgences. This is, this is, this is prime teaching a prime example of what it actually takes for us to be ransomed, for our soul to be ransomed, it takes a life. It takes a life. Can't pay it with green. You can't pay it with good works. It takes a life. It takes a life. Um, so I ask the question again: If Satan does not have the authority to have our souls or never had the authority to take our souls or have possession of our souls. Christ did not pay ransom to Satan. If no man can afford to pay God, and I just gave you the answer, you know the answer. If no man can afford to pay God the ransom, then to whom was the ransom paid? The ransom was paid to God himself. Only one mediator here could pay the debt that was owed to release us and to release our souls from captivity. Whereas no ordinary man could pay the ransom for our souls. Jesus came as the incomparable Christ to reconcile the world unto himself, to reconcile the world unto himself. First Timothy chapter two, verse five through six says, for there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Praise Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 through 15. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power over death, that is the devil, and delivered them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. He was subject. Jesus subjected himself to bondage. Now again, he did not pay the ransom to Satan. He paid the ransom to himself. Now for some this might be a mystery. This might be a mystery but the answer can be found in the word. And we just read a few scriptures that talk about Jesus Christ and what he did. But look at Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 19. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses against them or unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Man, we understand the fact that we have always been and belonged to God. Always. We are his creation. We have always belonged to him. The only thing Satan can do is persuade you to be in the same state that he is in. That's all he can do. Yeah. When he when he uh, deceived Eve, and then persuaded Adam to eat of the 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 tree. What he did was put them in the same state as he notice, he he we don't really hear anything else about Satan after that after that encounter. But what we do see is God come to this now fallen creation. Whereas sin separated us from God, it never uh, it never led to us not belonging to God. My wife gave me this, this uh, analogy. You know, your, your children might get lost in the grocery store, but they're still yours. <laughs> right. Right. They still belong to you. Right. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Some of them. <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Well, bro. <laughs> Brother Floyd would like to just leave and, you know, <laughs> and say one down, <laughs> ten to go. They still belong to you, brother. They still yours. It's the same thing. What sin does is separate us from fellowship with God. But we're still his creation. We still belong to him. What he invites us to do through his uh, uh, his bloodshed on the cross, he invites us to be reconciled back to him. To be back in to fellowship uh, with him. Now, I've told you guys this before. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is my favorite chapter in the entire Bible. Uh, I listen to it often as I'm going to sleep at night because it holds the key to all of this mystery on why Jesus did what he did and how he did what he did. We're going to read a few verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We have the victory, as the scripture says, through Christ to overcome death and to overcome hell and to overcome the grave. He did this so that we could be reconciled back to him. He He, he didn't owe Satan anything. Amen. He didn't owe Satan anything except a good whipping. Amen? Because we know that he's already defeated. We know that God has already given us the victory. He has already caused us to triumph. And I'm thankful for that. Colossians 1 19 through 20 says, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. This was the work and the ransom that Christ paid for us, that we could be back in fellowship with him. It's a powerful testimony. Yes, it is. It's a powerful testimony. It's a powerful uh, principle that we need to understand. And when we when we understand and read, as Matthew would say to the Jews, he was telling them, you, we put historically, our culture put so much emphasis on the ransom. Understand what Christ did for us. Understand that he paid this ransom. We've been we've been fumbling around with this law this whole time trying to figure out, you know, how to how to live righteously according to the law. The Bible even says that the law is death. (laughs) The law is death. It's just a a, a temporary stay, a rollback, if you will, an impasse between God and man. But we needed a mediator to step in. And say I'll pay it. We know God can't die. But he put on flesh that the flesh could die. And he did that. He did that for you. He did that for me. That's a weighty issue. It's a weighty matter. Not to be taken for granted. Thank God we get to take advantage of it. But I don't want to take it for granted. No ordinary man could pay the bill. As the first Adam led humanity away into sin. The last Adam leads us into eternal life. And I want to read this last scripture back again in first Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45 through 49. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth literally made of the dust the second man is the lord from heaven as the man of dust so also are those who are made of dust and as is the heavenly man so also are those who are heavenly did you catch that those who are made of dust are of the dust Yes, that's us. That's us in our flesh. But the very next line says that if we are as the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. When we identify with Jesus Christ, we, we part ways with this flesh, yes. our natural state, which is to be in sin. But when we identify with Christ through repentance, through the baptism in his name and through the infilling of the Holy Ghost, when we meet those things and we, we experience those things, we now identify with Christ. It's not enough just to come here, uh, to come up here, uh, say a little few words for Jesus, and then think that you've, 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 uh, you've taken advantage of the bill that he paid. Now all you did was just speak a few words of repentance. Thank God for that. But understand that in order to get married to Christ, in order to put him on, in order to, to put his name and apply his name to you, You've got to be baptized in Jesus name. Amen. We've got to experience that, that and go down. We have to bury that flesh in this watery grave. So then that we can become as the heavenly man. You see how that works. We put on Christ so that we can become as he is. Verse 49. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we also share bear the image of heaven. bear the image of heaven. When we identify with Jesus Christ, you know everybody's around here uh, talking about what they want to identify as uh, and setting up their own uh, their own realities. But man, I choose the reality that Christ ransomed His life for me. Right. Right. That's the fact. That's the reality. That's the truth. If you hold near and dear to your heart this word and these scriptures, man, that that's that's what it will cause you to do. That's what it will cause you to realize that we are all sinners. We're all held captive to sin and to death. We're all held captive. But Jesus paid a ransom for us. And we get a chance to take advantage of that. Amen. Well, that's all I got. Amen. Anybody glad about that? That fact. Come on. Amen. Saints used to sing that song. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Who knows that song? We got a few minutes. Let's stand up and sing it. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for ransoming my life. You rescued me from death, God. You ransomed me from sin. I'm so grateful to you, God. I appreciate this principle. I appreciate you, Hallelujah. amen, following the your rules that you put into, into the universe, God, yes. to become for me, Hallelujah. amen, what I needed, a, a, a savior, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. a ransom to be paid. I couldn't pay it myself. So God, you paid it for me. I'm happy about it. Anybody happy about that? Glory. Amen. Let's worship him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. If you were encouraged, by this message, and you would like to connect with Ephesus Church, or you would like to get in contact with the leadership of this church, please visit EphesusChurch.com. Thank you for being a part.